Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, I usually don't sit down a lot when I speak, but uh, there's a couple times during this that it kind of kind of helps me to sit down while we're just talking. Uh, this morning um, is is definitely not going to be um, it's never it's definitely not going to be just a real ordered sermon as I go through. Uh, last week we started talking about what we're going to be through, what we're going to be in for the next couple weeks, which is um, this series, we're just entitling it Draw Near, uh, because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to draw near to Him, to get close to Him. Uh, we come near to God and our salvation through Jesus, uh, but that's not, um, that's not the end of it. God continually, through Scripture, over and over and over again, is calling us, draw near to me, draw near to me, draw near to me. Um, and for this week, what we re- where we really want to go, I really believe where God is leading us, um, is drawing near with the idea of intimacy in mind. Um, and, and if you're like me, I said this last week, and I, I want to say it again because it really, I believe, deserves some, some thoughtful consideration. Many times in, in my life, I take, and I use the example of the distance that was between me and my dad growing up and how it affected uh, me and how I kind of adopted it, the overflow of my separation from him, kind of allowed to pour over into my relationship with God and really... Um, having a, at, at times in my life, honestly, just a in very infrequent, inconsistent prayer life, um, talking to God uh, was, uh, was affected by my lack of communication with me and my earthly father and how I saw that overflow into my relationship with God. I allowed that. That wasn't God choosing to. I allowed that to happen. Many times we take the experiences of our lives and we let those overflow into um, our relationship with God. If you've ever been in a relationship um, and, and it affected you spiritually, maybe it happened this way. Maybe you were putting so much energy into just what the image of your relationship was like that it, it was just exhausting. So you just kind of, at the end of the day, it's like you just didn't even have time for, for really you and God to get honest and, and get close and get personal. Um, for many of us, um, when, we, when we deal with hurt in relationships, when somebody betrays our trust, when somebody um, says something about us that's, that's harsh, that's unkind, that's untrue, then, then sometimes that can overflow into our relationship with God. When, when we're in a relationship, especially husbands and wives, when we're in a relationship that's supposed to be very intimate, very close, and that intimacy just falls apart, it's broken, it fades away, it's just not invested in, many times as that fades in life, then that overflows into our relationship with God. You say, well, why does that happen? Well, if, we really are, if we're really investing in our relationship with God and we're really pursuing and we're following Jesus and we're really doing the things that he says, he gave us a very simple, and it's very popular, it's very commonly quoted, um, really wall to let us kind of bump up into so that that doesn't happen so much. It's where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just as important, but secondly, after that, overflowing from that, Love others as yourself. In other words, he's not saying, hey, love people like you love yourself because there's too many of us who are so self-deprecated, we just don't like ourselves, we don't, think we're like, we don't feel like we're good at anything, we don't feel like we're worth anything, that, that we don't, we don't want to love others as I love me because I don't like me most days. So if I treat others that way, that's honestly, I'm going to be a pretty, pretty stinky pastor. But when I really look at, okay, God, my relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you, how do you love me? When I really get a full picture of that, or at least a a better picture of that, then I take that idea and say, okay, God, if that's how you love me, I want to then be you for somebody else. I'm going to love others, someone else, the way you love me. 
That's what he wired into us. That's what he wired and, and wrote and spoke into his word, I believe, just relationally to help us. Because when we really major into our relationship with Jesus, the way it should work is, is that that's the overflow that pours into our relationships with others. You say, well, hang on a second, but, but at times in my life, I really am trying to live for Christ. Then some relationships tend to get rocky. They tend to, we, we tend to bump into walls. I can just tell you what I've noticed in my life. The closer I get to Jesus, when that shines the light of Christ on issues in relationships, it's probably because I've made the wrong choices in those relationships. That's just been my experience. So when we talk about intimacy, what are we really talking about? We're talking about that unique, intentional, purposeful, long-lasting closeness. Now, we're not talking just about sex, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, we, we, we think intimacy and marriage, and, and, if, and if you're a wife in the room or you've ever been a wife in the room and you've ever dealt with a husband and you've just thought to yourself, how in the world, I didn't realize when he, when he put on a tuxedo that he was actually a caveman inside the tux. Like, how is his brain so simple that he just wants sex all the time? How can you be so simple? And you get frustrated with us. And to that, I would say, I don't know, we're just that simple. And when we look at our wives, husbands sometimes, right, do we, do we ever look at our, li- our wives and go, why, why, why is it so complicated? I, I, don't, I can't think that way. Like, I don't, I don't get, like, needing the things that you tell me you need. Like, I can't, I can't relate to that. You know, sometimes I wonder, in, in the creation, you know, because, again, Paul says in God's Word Inspired, he said, um, oh, I get it. The mystery of marriage is that so other people understand Jesus and the bride, the church. We represent the bride. Because when I look at that, I, I've even kind of wondered the past couple weeks as I've been reading and studying of this message, God, as, as, the, as, as Jesus is the husband in this relationship, he's probably more satisfied and more pleased with just what I give him than I'm satisfied with what I think he's giving and doing for me. I probably make this a little bit more complicated than maybe even Jesus makes it when he sees me. And he just wants my time. He, he, and, he, and he just wants it now. And I have to be in the right state of mind. I got I to gotta deal with all my issues and kind of do all this stuff. As husband's wife, we, we, we compliment each other. In the kingdom, we compliment, we should compliment Jesus. We should be the ones that reflect his love that he's given us so freely. But for a lot of us, intimacy with God, if it gets affected by our relationships on earth, ugh, that could be a dangerous thing, right? Um, for some of us, we maybe we've been married so long, we've forgotten really um, what intimacy is. Um, I often hear a lot of people say that we're more like roommates than, than husbands and wives than passionate people living together. Sometimes we, we forget that um, proximity to each other doesn't ensure us to be intimate, to be close, to be personal, to really be deep in our relationship. For some of us, intimacy, if our relationships affect our relationship with God, it, it's rough because intimacy gets broken. Um, in a body of Christ our size, we have people that have been cheated on by spouses. When that happens, intimacy is broken. And a lot of times when you really look at it, it does affect when, those, when our earthly relationships overflow in our relationship with God, it affects it, right? We, we kind of like, we, we close off some. Last week at the camp I spoke at, um, 
there was a letter that was written into the leadership of the camp. And it, this was an adult. It's an adult. And this female leader that was at the camp, through this letter and through the permission that she gave, it was read at the camp. Um, and, and you'll see why in a moment. And, and, and the reason because it gave permission, I'll, I'll say it to you. Um, she wrote about how when she was in her late teens, she was raped. Uh, she conceived because of that rape. And through the grace of God, she, she kept that little boy. She raised him. Now he's in his, I think, late 20s. And he's got some, uh, some pretty major health issues going on. Um, a lot of questions, more questions than answers about his health issues. And the doctors, before the week that she came to that camp to, to love on teenagers from her church, a doctor told her, she, he said, it's, it's going to be paramount that we have a full family background history. See, when she was raped, she just locked that off. She didn't pursue it. She didn't say anything. She's a believer in Jesus Christ. She's saved by her testimony. She's saved. And for the first time ever since it happened, she said in that letter, I'm having to ask God some questions this week that I've never asked. Because when I leave here to care for my son, I'm going to have to go back to the man that raped me. Now, how about that? And she talked about how experiencing that, she closed that off to try to just push it to the side. And when you talk about broken intimacy, we had um, teenage guys, teenage girls, and adults. Adults walk into a safe room that we had set up and for the first time share what had happened to them. Never told anybody. God really worked in some great ways. But, but multiple times it was said, when I hid this, or when my parents said, let's just move on from it, or whatever it was that happened, it was this closed-off decision that was so tight that even God didn't get on the inside of it. He was aware of what was in the side of it. But remember, what does Jesus say? I, I, I knock at the door. He doesn't kick doors down. He don't jerk doors off their hinges. So didn't didn't let him in. And that's intimacy. And if statistics hold to be true, this, this young generation that we love so much, we say we love so much, one in three girls, between one in five to one in seven guys will experience sexual abuse. So we have the potential that among, that's, that's not a Christian or a world thing. That's just a people thing. So there's a chance out there that that could be the spiritual battle that we're, that we're loving people through and, and trying to reach people through for years to come. And if that's what it is, that's okay because we're the kingdom. We're going to do it because Jesus tells us to. But when intimacy gets crazy, and it's not even just that. Sometimes just intimacy is a screwed up thing just in our relationships. Like we just don't know how to relate to other people. You know how many times this amazing woman has just like looked at me and I see the look in her eyes and she's just like, Ugh! because I just don't like get it and I know I don't get it. And I look at her going, I still don't get it. Then I'm, I'm even frustrated at myself. And when those things and, and others, other stories, other versions, other stuff flows into our relationship with God, it, 
it clouds and it dictates and it decides things sometimes about our intimacy with him. And we all want good intimacy. We, we want healthy, supportive relationships. But what really is intimacy with God? I've been studying this. I've been reading scripture about it. I've been reading other things that are out there. I've really tried to get together some things. I prayed over some things I felt like the Lord has given me and put on my heart to say this morning. Um, there's only going to be two verses I'm ever going to show on the screen and then that logo. That's going to be it. So if you'd like to take some notes, please take some notes. We have some notebooks that you can grab real quick that are in the lobbies on these little, uh, actually there may just be some right there. If you want to grab something to write on or the back of your bulletin, that's cool. Um, but it's out there. We'll get you something somewhere. But um, i just like for you to listen this morning because I have long since given up trying to like, act like I've got my life all together. Um, I don't want to tell you a whole lot of my story. Uh, my issues, my relational things. I, I really want you to hear God's word. I want you to hear some of what God's done in my life. But, but I, I've really needed the truth of some of this in the last few weeks as I've looked at my life and said, okay, God, there, there's times, seasons, yeah, I can say, man, me and you have had some intimacy. And then there's some times in my life that I've looked at and been like, God, like, what, what was I thinking, Lord? I mean, I, I lived. Like I, like I was saying I was doing stuff in your name and I was, I was supposed to be something that, that you were proud of and, and, and I wasn't close to you. I, like, I, did, I, I, I had drawn close, but I had walked far. So as we dive into this this morning, um, I'm going to start with three things that um, are obstacles to intimacy with God um, and look at specifically obstacles of intimacy with God. Um, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. We're going to be several different places in Scripture, and I'll tell you where we're going. Uh, but before we do this, I do want to pray and just really ask God to open our minds this morning to make sure that we've kind of re, we, we've really focused in um, from the busyness of whatever it's taken just to get us into this room together, okay? God, thank you for these moments. Lord, help us to concentrate on your word this morning, to hear your word. Um, God, to not um, to hear the things that we add in or, or, or we plug in in a message or a sermon. God, I pray that it's your truth and your word that really um, screams out into our lives and makes it so clear, God, of what an intimate relationship with you is supposed to be. God, we thank you that last week as we opened up the ideas and you opened up in our hearts the idea of union and communion, that we are, we are saved by Jesus, and if we are saved, then that is, that is it. It doesn't get any closer or any better than that. We're either saved or we're lost, but communion, real relationship with you is something that we can improve and we can work on. So God, help us to take this next step in working on our communion, our fellowship, our closeness with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, three steps, um, three things that, that, really, that really hurt us in our, um, in our intimacy with God. The first one is, um, many times we get blinded by ignorance, blinded by ignorance. In Isaiah 53, it describes God's people this way. It says, as sheep, we have all gone astray, each one searching for their own way. That does really describe us when it comes to people that look to follow God. Uh, the Bible over and over, and I wish it doesn't because honestly it's very offensive. Um, in, in, in my pride, it's offensive. Uh, if I'm humble, I appreciate it. But the Bible over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, refers to us as sheep. Sheep are animals that are just ignorant animals. It's not just that they're, that, that they're foolish. They just don't have the capacity of intelligence to be able to make wise decisions. The majority of a sheep's life is they are being made to do something being forced to do something. And the Bible calls us that. And, and, and in many times, I believe for us as Christians, when, when we're saved, we are born, it says, the Bible says we're born into the family of God. We are a child of God. But just like a baby that's born, that baby is totally dependent on who all can care for it. 
And if we don't grow much out of that union with Jesus, if we don't begin to grow in our faith, and we stay really young, then there are just simply things we don't know. Many times we wander far from God. We walk far instead of drawing near out of absolute ignorance. But it is an ignorance that can be overcome. Through growing in our faith, we can start to eliminate the things that we're ignorant of to learn the truth of God's Word so that intimacy is, is that much more likely, that much more possible in our life. But many times we are blinded by ignorance. The next thing um, that's an obstacle for, for, for me many times and for all of us is that we're tricked by knowledge. In John 5, 38 through 40, the Bible describes us this way. Jesus, with his own words, he's, he's looking at a crowd of people that are very religious. He said, you search through the Scriptures because in the Scriptures you think you're good. In other words, they knew enough truth that they felt like they were loved by God and that they were okay. He said, you'll comb the Scriptures for what makes you feel better. But he says, in fact, all the scriptures are, are, are there to point you to me, and I'm the one that you won't draw near to. He said, you won't come in search of me for true eternal life. I went to seminary. I've been in church. I've been, I was a Sunday school kid. I was, I was flannel graft raised. I know some verses. I know some stories. And honestly, I, I'll confess to you, I know enough of the truth of God's word that I've chosen to allow to, make, to, to allow it to, to make me comfortable that I'm just okay with God despite the sinful decisions that I've been making. I, I've, I've known enough about the truth of the gospel that I can say it and teach it. But when I didn't take the truth and really apply it and let it into my life to consume me, I let the truth stand, but it was actually an obstacle for my intimacy with God. Truth is absolute. It's important for us to know. But if we, if we use God's word or if we go just deep enough into God's word to say, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just okay with God, and we don't let him really into the full parts of our heart, then it is actually an obstacle. It can be an obstacle for intimacy. Blinded by ignorance, tricked by knowledge, and the last one is um, romance by experiences, by environments. In Romans 10, 1 and 2, the Bible talks about people that have a zeal and excitement for God but it doesn't come from true knowledge and experience. You realize it's, it's very possible to, to be, to be um, accurate in who we know Jesus to be, but not be in relationship with him? Jesus said it this way. He said, there'll be many that'll say, Lord, Lord, but I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. They'll, they'll know who I am. They'll know my title. They'll know my position, but they won't know my forgiveness in a real relationship. See, we can, we can get tricked by experience. When, when, when we're romanced by the experience of church, when worship, the environment, when the songs and everything is just right. You know what one of my major prayers for, for, those, for Dale and for those that lead worship is for our church? One of my major prayers all the time is that they will be more consumed with who God is than, than consumed by what they're charged to create. In other words, we can, we can get in an environment when we like all the songs and we like what we feel, we can, we, can be, we can be romanced into the idea that, oh, we have intimacy with God. When in reality, all that was was a candlelit dinner. We know what that is, right, guys? Just enough romance to try to get what we want and then get frustrated when someone's not on board with what we want. Right? The image of romance is there, but 
what, what really is a really nice romantic environment, a candlelit dinner, if there's intimacy issues with the two people sitting at the table? It's, it's, really, it's really just image, isn't it? We can get romanced by those things in life. It's why Dale pours into our youth when they're at camp. When they have a week like that, he talks to them about the truth of a consistent walk with God, that, that many of the things that they're doing in an environment at camp are reproducible at home. It just takes more intentional effort. Don't get just romanced by the environment and let down by what you claim reality to be. Work intentionally towards intimacy. So those are some of the obstacles. I want to tell you this. I want to read you a note that I've got that I, I, that I have here in my notes. We're going to talk about what the what the true what the true root of intimacy that we're going to really lean into this morning is, and that's this thing called trust. Intimacy is built through trust. That's 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 where we're kind of headed this morning. Just to let you know, trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more we trust someone, the closer. We let them get to us. The degree to which trust is compromised in a relationship is the degree to which intimacy evaporates. You ever, you ever notice the more you trust somebody, the more you let them in? And when you trust somebody, but there hasn't been real life experience that has tested that trust, you say you trust them, but oftentimes we still keep them a little bit at arm's length. When you've been hurt in relationships before, now you're in a relationship with somebody new, you say, hey, yes, I trust you, but what we really mean is you hadn't screwed up yet, so I'm still with you. Intimacy comes through trust. Believing and having faith when we truly don't know and can guarantee the outcome, when we can't find all the answers for ourselves. In Scripture, when the word faith is used, it's always anchored in this idea of trust. When it's faith in Jesus, it's trusting in what He did and that He will continue to work in our lives. That's faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the two, um, two verses that we're going to have on the screen this morning. This is, this is out of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 6 is, is, is by far my life's verse. Easily my life's verse. We're going to also be reading verse 5 about this guy named Enoch. Um, that we hear just a little bit about in Genesis. Verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not, found to, um, he was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. You know what it says about Enoch in Genesis? He lived 365 years. So every day of our calendar year was a year of his life. 365 years. And, and it said this about him, that, that Enoch walked faithfully with God and then was no more. You say, what, what, what is intimacy? Like, what, what's really possible? Uh, let's, let's, set, let's set a bar for a moment this morning. What is possible with intimacy with God? Because the, our relationship with God is, is often described as a walk. Now, remember, this is Old Testament time, but this is still after the fall of Adam and Eve. So when Enoch was living, he wasn't living the life that Adam lived when he was first created, where Adam, you know, every evening literally took a physical walk with God in his presence. Enoch was just living faithfully. It said that, that, that Enoch, well, almost tripped right there. Um, Enoch walked with God and then was no more. In other words, intimacy with God really can look like this. We can live so closely with him and walk so closely with him that literally we can, we, we can go from one step on earth to one step in heaven. We think heaven must be galaxies away. Intimacy is not spatial. It's, it's relational. 
You got, you got that? It's not spatial, it's relational. You can be extremely intimate, close with someone that you're not near. While Enoch didn't see God physically in front of him, he walked so faithfully with him. He took one step here, one step in heaven, and he just kept on going. That's, that's really a picture that the, that the Old Testament paints of us of what intimacy with God could look like. But then it says this, when it says that he, that, that he pleased God, notice this, verse 6, and without faith, without trust, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This, this seeking idea in Scripture is, is woven in. It's what we set our minds on and our heart's affections towards. To seek God, we, we must believe that he is. In other words, that he is who he says he is. And that he'll reward those. You know what Hebrews really gets around to? What the big reward is? What the big prize is at the end? You remember, you remember playing hide and seek as a kid? When you play hide and seek, winning is finding someone. That's winning. And that's really the heart of Hebrews in chapter 11. It's, it's, it's the reward is when we seek after God, when we draw near to him, that we will in fact know him. That we'll have intimacy, closeness with him. And the result of that, we're going to get to in a really um, and, and one of my favorite passages of the Bible, it's in Psalm 73. We're going to end with that this morning. It's so, so good. And, and, and we're going to see that that really, the, the fulfillment of the reward is absolutely life-changing in how we live out our lives. But trust is essential. When trust is broken in a relationship, I, I, I can tell you this, I don't, I, don't often find, I don't often find in counseling or in my own life, ish, relationships where somebody says, hey, I, tr- I do not trust this person. They have broken my trust. But now we're incredibly intimate. We're close. We're relational all the time, and I love it. Where there isn't trust, there often isn't intimacy. Where there is trust, intimacy lives and thrives. There's a Puritan pastor in a message in the 1800s that said this about Enoch. Because remember, we're talking about Enoch being faithful, trusting, seeking. He said this about him. Friendship with God, for Enoch, is most maintained and kept up by visits. And these visits are more free and less occasioned by urgent business. In other words, he said, you know what? He said the evidence seems to be in Enoch's life that he didn't just go to God with an emergency. He just came to God often. Um, I, I find this to be true especially when I'm, when I'm with people that are, um, that are older, at the, at, especially people that have lived a long life and are at the end of their life. Um, one of our families here, I was recently able to be um, in hospice and in the hospital um, with their grandmother and mother-in-law. And um, I came in to visit one day when she was at Alamance Regional, and we were in there talking, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was sweet. Um, she had dementia, and her hearing wasn't the best, and I came in there, I said, hey, you know, can I pray with you? And she looks at me like, like, and I'm sitting there going, okay, I, obviously we don't have this kind of relationship. And she said, well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, come on, give me a break. This like, I'm the preacher, man. This is what you come to do at a hospital. Like, you come to pray with people. And she looks at me and she goes, well, I mean, did you bring a ball or something? It's like, what? She's like, well, I don't know. What do you want to play? No, no, no. I, w- I want to pray with you. Like, we're going to pray to God. Like, I'm literally like, we're praying to God. And then she goes, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. She said, she said I was wondering, like, kind of in bed. So, 
as we were there, it was, it was so interesting because when, when, you're, when you're talking with someone, especially at the end of the life, especially when dementia or Alzheimer's is, is, is present, a lot, of memories, a lot of memories are clouded. But consistently I found this, that the conversations go back to really good, intimate relationships. And as I sat and talked to her, she didn't tell me about any disaster in life. She didn't tell me about any um, major events. She talked about who she needed to go check on. And that an aunt that was across the street when she was a little girl would just come have supper every night, or at least most nights. She taught regular visits in a really intimate way that you could tell these were, these were key, joyful, close relationships, not relationships that were anchored into the emergency moments. I mean, think about that. I mean, really, think about these, these, these environments. We want to create intimacy with God. We, we said we want intimacy. But, but how many times have I run to God and said, okay, God, I got this emergency, and like I need you to handle this right now. There's a statement right now that too many of us are making. I've said this statement, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep myself from making it. because I, Now, I believe about 25% of the time we are spot on. But about 75%, I think we're not really being fair to what intimacy with God should look like. We say this phrase, God's got this. And when we are leaning in and we're trusting God and, and, and we're expecting Him to work, that heart is very true. But too many times I think we also do this. We create this awful mess and want to say God's got this. Like we just come to Him with an emergency. We show up at the candlelit dinner and say, come on, let's get romantic real quick. Love on me. When really we should be saying, okay, God, what do you say about this? How should I think about this? What in this would you have me do? And what would you do through me in this? And then on the other side of it is really when we discover, wow, that, that process was intimacy. Like, God doesn't want to be that call that just is the emergency. Come on and perform. Regular relationships, not urgent business. Um, Jesus really frames this, this seeking thing and this staying thing really well. Before I dive, dive into a couple of passages, I, I do want to mention this. I talked to you about how the, the, the Bible really frames seeking really well. Old Testament and New Testament. First um, Chronicles twenty two nineteen. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Set your mind and heart. Mind's attention, heart's affection on God. When we seek Him with everything is when we're finding Him. Then it says this in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Intimacy is going to happen with intentional effort and, and directional effort. Intimacy doesn't happen by mistake, right? We don't just live with another person through life and just kind of wake up one day and go, oh, we're, we're really close and we really depend on each other and we're really there for each other. It takes intentional time and effort and, and directed effort towards someone and for someone. That's the way that the Bible end-to-end -end frames this idea of closeness and seeking God. Jesus um, related this idea of, of trust and how trust gets lived out through an illustration of a vine and branches. And I, I want to I dive into this just for a moment because, again, we started with this statement as I read it to you. Intimacy is built through trust. Trust is built through closeness over time. Trust is built through closeness over time. You may meet somebody, your heart may be connected with them, you may have a like spirit, but trust is built in closeness over time. This is how Jesus described the relationship that we have with him. 
He said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. We are connected directly to Jesus when we're saved. Uh, a vine, we, we talked about this in our Rooted series maybe a year or two ago, where we talk about we, we get the resources of life, and we really are connected to Jesus. We're getting the resources of everything that we need in life. Jesus says, yes, you're drawing from me. He says, my father, though, he's got a specific function. He is this, he, he is this, this, this worker that, just like any good gardener, comes in, and, and you prune what's dead, you cut back what's not producing to get better. I stink at growing grass, at, at farming, at growing anything. Like, I am not that person. But I do at least know that if I want the trees in my yard to look better, the bushes that are around my house, things like that, even if it's produce that's growing, there are things that you have to get rid of that will actually end up choking out good growth. And Jesus says, listen, yeah, you're getting a lot from me, but, but God, our Father, is not just about you getting something you need. It's about you becoming better for the kingdom. Then he, he goes into a little bit more explanation. Verse 4, he says, remain in me, closeness over time. Remain in me and I in you. Just as, branch, as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, Unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I don't, I don't know how he says it any plainer. He says, Derek, listen, your life won't produce anything. You, you won't have true goodness, kingdom goodness come out of your life unless you abide, you remain you remain close to me over time. You may have some things that you do that look good or you say that are in my name, but they're not going to have the quality of goodness unless you truly remain in me. You just can't do it without me. We don't often have relationships that we don't communicate in and assume that intimacy will just blossom. Relationships take work, right? Have you figured that out too? relationships take work it's an overtime job for my wife she works many more hours a week than I probably work at our relationship but but relationships take work and Jesus said I'll do the work with you I'll give you what you need I don't understand like I told you a lot about gardening and growing but but I have read a lot over the last few weeks as I've been reading for this message and studying for this message about um, what it means to connect to connect a new branch to a vine it's called grafting and when you do that, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But when you graft a branch to a vine or a root system, it takes between three and seven days for the essential connections to happen so that that branch can start to draw what it needs. You know, too many times I think that you know, we approach God this way. We say, hey, man, life's a wreck. Let me go back to church. And we expect because we went to that one service that everything's just going to be magical. It's just going to flow. When we forget that, there's work to be done. Like, I come to God in my life many times, and, and I want closeness quickly. Like, God, I want you present, near, working now. And I, and I just, I completely overlook by my choice, by my arrogance, that there is sin in my life that I need to confess because it's my sin that's actually the wall between me and him. It's why he's having to shout so loudly and I can't hear him so clearly. And I say that I don't feel him close because I've got my sin between me and him. And I don't confess my sin because I just want closeness quickly between three and seven days the connections form before those things come out many times God just says listen let's work on your identity in Christ let's form these connections in your heart and in your mind so that when I do communicate to you 
you'll get what you need in the version that you need it. Jesus then concludes that passage this way. He says that um, my father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. He also says this, um, that, that when you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you want and it will be done for you. I talked earlier about how we need to grow. If we grow, we get out of the ignorance Get out of the ignorance that trips us up in our intimacy with God. Jesus just says right here that if you remain in me, that whatever you ask, you'll have. So here's my question. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says this to God. Going a little farther, verse 9 in chapter 26 of Matthew, going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Why did Jesus not get what he wanted? If intimacy does anything, shouldn't it please us? Shouldn't it give, shouldn't it give us what we want? No, intimacy grows us. It deepens our understanding of the person that we're intimate with. We know them better so we can predict what they do what they do better. We can, we can understand how they think and how they see situations. That's how intimacy works. Jesus was so intimate with his father that he didn't just say, God, don't let this happen. He said, don't let this happen. If there's any other way, let this pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It, see, intimacy helped his understanding as he grew as the son of God in man form. Intimacy helps us in our understanding, but it also moves us deeper into our, our relationship. He comes back a second time and he prays, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, you will, your will be done. It, it doesn't say exactly his prayer, but even in verse 44 it says, After leaving them, that's the disciples that were sleeping, that were with him, he went away again and prayed a third time. Our intimacy as we grow close to God will build trust. But listen to this. Trust is proven through closeness over time during the difficult stages of life. See, Jesus here says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Get connected, form the connections, let me start to resource you. But when you're close to me, when, when you're resourced by me, when you're in a hard moment of life, trust isn't just going to be built, it's going to be proven. Proven that it was worth it. You know, in James 1, the half-brother of Jesus, after seeing Jesus' whole life and living much of his life himself, he says, take joy in trials. I don't know about you. I don't, I, like, that's not the T-shirt that I want to wear. I want to take joy at the beach. I want to take joy while it's easy. I want to, like, I want, like, I want my bills to be low and my income to be high. I want my children to be, behave. I want my relationship with my wife to be good. Like, I want those things. I just simply don't always want to work as hard as I need to work at them. But James says, if you'll take joy in those, why in the world should we take joy in those? Because he says, because of those trials, because of making it through them, because of the trust that's proven in those trials, you'll produce some really needed things. Steadfastness, faith, hope, love, joy. This stuff that really is lasting in life, that really does something for us, that really helps us in the moments that we need it the most. He says, that's, that's what intimacy does. Now, if intimacy is built on trust, trust is built on closeness over time, trust is proven by closeness over time through the difficult circumstances of life, what does this really look like? What's a functional example? Glad you asked. Psalms 73. If you want to look at it, just fair warning. It's 28 verses. I'm going to read every one of them. Buckle up. Okay? Psalm 73. This is what we're really going to look at as a, as a functional example. This is a psalm by Asaph. Um, 
da- uh, David wrote some beautiful psalms. These were, these were, if you don't know, they weren't just poems written. They wasn't just God's word written for verses. These were sung. These were the worship songs of the day. This is, this is the hymnal, the contemporary worship list. This is the set list from their, their culture, their day, their time in the temple and worship. When I first read Psalm 73 years ago, I remember thinking, I'd like to be led in worship by that guy. I like the way that that guy talks. He's very real about his life, but at the end of his story, he's got meat on the bones. I want you to listen. Verse 1 in chapter 73. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's a good way to start. God's good. But as for me... My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envy the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is, this is the brief introduction that's so important to understand here. This guy, Asaph, as he wrote this song, he said, yes, I acknowledge God is good. He said, but I really almost lost my footing in life. I fixed my eyes on something that wasn't him. And we're going to now find out that fixing our eyes on something that's not God builds frustration into our life. This is what he says about these people that he saw. They have an easy life until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. They eat so many Cajun filet biscuits that literally their eyes are popping. And they don't even have to buy them. They just get them free. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. He's looking at this group of people and he's so frustrated. He's like, you don't even respect God. You're questioning God on everything. You're even questioning his existence. And he's looking at the people of God and going, this doesn't make sense, God. If you're good, why are they comfortable and these people aren't always? And he's looking at it almost as an outsider. His frustration is growing. But as he looked at it as an outsider, he does what we most often do. When we, begin to get, when we begin to take our eyes off of God and put it on something else, it always rises in a level of how personal it becomes to us. This is what he says. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. And if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Now, notice what he says. He said, when, when I looked at my own life, my life was more horrible, more worse off than all of these people. Then this is what he says, because Asaph, is, he, he's, he's, a, he's a worship writer. He said, had I just walked in and said this publicly, I wouldn't just be frustrated about what I'm seeing. I would then be wrong because that would be discouraging to others. I mean, he's beyond throwing his hands up. He doesn't like what he's seeing in his world and in his experiences. And he realizes that if he does truly love God and God is holy, that he can't complain but so much about it without being guilty himself. This guy's frustrated. Until, until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. See, here's, here's what happens in this, this one moment of transition. 
He said, this is how I felt. But remember, this is Old Testament. So when they came into the presence of God, or at least the closest they could get to the presence of God, it was in the temple, it was in the sanctuary. They were not like us in the New Testament age that, that through salvation of Jesus Christ, we, we walk daily with the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's why our sin is, is so talked about by Jesus from being in our heart, because he's with us. His spirit is in us. He, they're not, he's not in the presence of God all the time. So he goes in there, and he says, and at that moment, God, you began to enlighten me. In other words, he, just, he drew near. In that first moment of drawing near, he began to have his mind open to what God was saying. But he's, this is just his draw near moment. This isn't his stay close yet. We're going to get to stay close. He says, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in, a, in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one walking from a, waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When he first drew near, he said, okay, God, um, th there's, there's an element of truth that I need to acknowledge. That No matter how good somebody's life looks now, eternity is, is so much bigger. Our life now is a drop in the pan of eternity. So this is his initial thought, just of drawing near to God. But it's not enough, is it? Doesn't he still sound like he's got the bitterness inside of him? Like he's basically saying, all right, God, I feel a little bit better knowing that if they don't ever love you, that you're going to punish them for eternity. It's almost like he's, he's only moved one step in drawing near of just, okay, God, you're going to get them in the end. But notice this, when I became embittered, when, when the bitterness continued to grow, even as he was drawing near, and my innermost being was wounded, it says, I was stupid and didn't understand. It, remember, it was ignorance. It, it, was, it was blocking his intimacy. He says, I was un, an unthinking animal towards you, a sheep. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. He's like, hang on a second, God. I'm so focused on how good their life looks compared to mine. I'm forgetting of what my life looks like in you and how that is the goodness of my life regardless of whatever else is going on. You realize that's, that's, that's walking in trust. That's, that's going, God, my relationship can be so intimate with you that, it, that it's good no matter what else I see. He says, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. It says that, that God is what I'm consuming, what I'm focused on. When we sit down and say, okay, let's divide up the pizza on the table, let's divide up the chicken out of the pan, let's divide up the work to be done, whatever it is, what is my portion? That, that's, that's basically saying, this is what's mine, it's what I'm responsible for, it's what I'm going to have. And he says, listen, all I can say is what's going on with me. When he says it's my portion, he now has his eyes off of what everybody else has, what they're going through and all that stuff. He just says, okay, on my plate, God, it's you. On my plate, God, it's you. Says, I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. You see that full turnaround? When the closeness remained over time through this difficult stage of life, just through this time of frustration, at the end of the story, this verse says, God, you are my good. I got to stop talking about what's bad in my life. I got to start focusing on God. You are my good and that you will help me in whatever it is that I'm in the middle of. 
You'll instruct me. You'll tell me how to think about it. You'll deal with me on all this stuff. And he says, you know what? These people will be punished by God if they stay away from him. And out of now this intimacy with God, what does he say at the very end? He says, and I can tell all about you. The people, did you get it? When he drew near, the bitterness of hating these other people is now the mission of his life. Why? Intimacy with God. Closeness. Have you ever, have you ever been close enough with God to where when something was not what you wanted, when your portion didn't look appetizing, that you spent enough time with him over time, you drew close to the point that you could say, okay, okay. It's probably not been often enough in my life, I know. Maybe not too often for all of us. But it is what God has placed in front of us. He's able to be satisfied. He's able to take his frustration and move forward. Now, because you came to church this morning, does that mean that your relationship that you're most consumed with because it's hurting you the most is just going to get better? No. Because you were here and in attendance, have we, any of us, earned something that will allow something else to ease up. Nope. In a church our size, the people that are here today in both services, the people that are not able to be here, we no doubt have people, like how I began my sermon, that have suffered sexual abuse. That intimacy was defiled and it was sinful and it was broken and it was wrong. And for those people, we know that that will be a difficulty to come to the place to open their life to God and to hear from Him. And can you imagine that story I told you? To be going back this week for the care of your son to have to win out against the fear of your past and the hurt of your past. In our church, because we have relationships, We've got some marriages that are broken and busted, barely hanging on. And we got some that are probably just, feels like it shattered because it hit the floor. We do. Is there something magical going to happen in a quick conversation with God? Mm -mm. No. Intimacy is always going to take intentional effort, directed effort towards someone. God offers us intimacy with Him. So that tells me any relationship can be restored. I can't believe the gospel and not believe that. I believe for many of us, it's, it's the choices that we have in front of us to make and the choices and the decisions of others that have been put on us. For some of us, we're barely hanging on financially. Some of us, we got way more than what we need. And we're fighting hard. 
We're swinging, we're punching, we're clawing. And we've taken some shots too. Because again, if you're anything like me, and unfortunately, what I haven't been for the one woman that really does love me, you've probably let your relationships and the things in your life overflow into your relationship with God. And I pray, sincerely pray. Because for me, just, I mean, I've studied a lot of stuff. I look for that one perfect passage, that clean, neat passage that I could preach and be funny because I love being funny. Just say, hey, here, God, here's the intimacy. Let's wrap it up. Let's send it out. Let's put it on everybody and just let's head out the door. But instead of making it quick and neat, I think by God's design, he, he just threaded it through his whole word. <laughs> and said, no, you're not going to get off that easy. Because i got to get you to spend some time with me and grow with me. And the arguments that you have when, you, when one person draws close may be the light being shown that the relationship isn't what it needs to be. Or it may be showing two people that they're called to work and their hearts are turned towards God and each other. I don't preach this message to fix my relationships or your relationships honestly with anybody. I feel like God has put this message on my heart to fix my relationship with Him. And I pray to give you enough truth to influence your relationship with Him. Because there are honestly things that I know heaven will wash away. But right now when we are trying to make it on our own, we're drowning in. And I know this is a body of Christ that doesn't just look at each other, but we look after each other. But even after each other, it's going to come up short some days. But intimacy with God doesn't come up short. I have to admit that. Because I have to take ownership that when, it's, when something's come up short, it's been on me. It's all been on me. Would you bow your heads? The last night that we were um, at this camp that I was at last week, um, the speaker, uh, they, they pay one individual to come in uh, at night to speak. Um, it's the only, that and the main worship band is all that they, they, they pay to bring in. And, and they invest in these people. They're very gifted. God is using them greatly. And the guy that spoke at night, um, talented speaker, wonderful man of God, great voice with the word, but he also had a great singing voice. And the worship during the week was was very similar to what we have here on Sunday mornings, but, but every night when he stood up, he would, he would actually lead the congregation in a chorus or a verse in a chorus of a hymn. And, and the last night, he, he led in a hymn that I grew up hearing right before uh, a time in an altar at the church that I grew up in. It was softly and tenderly. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is called. Come home. It says, all sinners, come home. You... You who are weary, come home. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know you have a relationship with God, He wants to create a home for you with Him and in Christ that we want to show you God's Word about. If you don't know if you have that relationship with Him, please come forward this morning. Talk to me. Talk to me after the service. Someone else here. I can, I can connect you with other people that, that, it, that because it's not my opinion. It's God's Word. And we got plenty of people around here ready to handle it. But if you do know Jesus is your Savior, you know you belong to God. But you have gone far instead of drawing near. Come home. Come home. You, I, I know you're tired. Come home. You know, in the prodigal son, in, in that story in the Bible, I read this past week that what, what was assumed in their culture when Jesus told that parable was that when the son came home and restored his relationship with the father, because of how family business worked and what they would have grown up in, the assumption was that when he came home, that he stayed home. And that's what I want our assumption to be this morning, that we aren't going through efforts to just come home. We're going to remain home. We're not just going to draw near. We're going to stay near intimacy in God. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word this morning. Thank you, for God, for allowing us to hear it and know it. God, help us to draw near to you. I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that this morning is the morning that they receive your grace, God, through believing and trusting in Jesus. For all of us here that know that, God, that we belong to you, I pray that we are able to draw near to you, that intimacy is restored in our life, not because of what's happened to us, but, God, what happens between us and you. God, redeem us, not just our souls, but redeem intimacy for us. Lord, help us to find our home and our comfort and our place with you over time, long ranges of time. Lord, help us to stay. Help us help, God, let us not come back through revival. Help us to just remain and be alive in you. This morning, God, if, if you put on someone's heart to pray at this altar or be prayed with, God, give them the boldness to move. If you keep someone in their seat, allow them to stand and rejoice and sing in the praises of who Jesus is and the truth of who he is. If you quiet our mouths and our souls, let us stand and meditate, God, on the truth of your word. Let us be obedient. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.